Welcome to Idle Weekend. I'm Danielle Riendo, and I'm here with my co-host Rob Zachney to wind down another week. And this week, we're talking about games that kind of get us through transition points in life. What do we need to play when everything is changing all around us? So, uh, this topic is near and dear to my heart uh, <laughs> right now. Uh, so, Does, What, did something happen in the last week since we've been off the air? I, the last week? <laughs> Yeah, because we were here last week with Idle Weekend. Uh, yeah. It's, about, it's, it's actually only been about a month because that one went up so late. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. Uh, but, like, the last time we recorded Idle Weekend was, like, June 2nd, I think. It was before E3. Right, we know. We, we, yeah, we, yes, we were like, <laughs> we're going to do it before E3 so we don't miss one. Yep. It didn't go up until after E3. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Little We're editing so good noise, at life. like the yeah, yeah, exactly. Look, life has has taken us for a tumble lately, a little bit. I think uh, is fair to say. There's been some things, some changes, you know, some changes, good and and bad. Some a lot of change in life. Uh, I won't go into any gory details, but I will say that I have gone through a breakup, uh, which has uh, necessitated some some moving of things in life, some shifting of things in life. And uh, I have definitely taken some solace in games, uh, more so than I have in the past, actually, at times like this. Although I have certainly done this in the past as well. Uh, and one of the games that I'm playing, Rob, tell me, stop me if you've heard this one before. All right, stop me. Oh, boy. I am about 515 hours into into the breach at this point in life. I uh, So I got... Uh, I 100%ed it uh, more or less. Well, I got all the achievements. I got every achievement in this game. And I uh, I thought for a day or two that I was going to stop playing. I kind of thought like, all right, I did it. That's what I was going for. I, you know, I ran the marathon, finished the marathon, felt good about my performance. And then this breakup happened and I kind of was like, you know what would be nice if I was playing Into the Breach right now? Uh <laughs> And so I sort of fell back in uh, completely headfirst, and now I'm trying to get sort of like a two, three, and four island victory with every team, uh, just to just to kind of like fill out my plate a little bit, you know? Okay. Uh, and I I may or may not be timing myself at this point. Not that I think I'm ever going to actually be a speedrunner at this game because it's that's ridiculous. And also, frankly, I play with a controller, and I know that's never going to be optimal. Uh, so, you know, I'm probably yeah. never going to actually speed run this game, but I could get to a point, maybe after a thousand hours, I could get to I a point. I think we need yet to have you stream this game again for Waypoint, because like, yeah. at this point, I'm really curious how your thought process is working when you sure. play this game. Like, because at this point, you, you have to, you're no longer doing, like, the basic level, like, analysis of the problems and what moves are possible, because, like... 500 hours in, you've internalized most <laughs> surface level lines of play. So I'm really curious, like, where does your thought process pick up now when you're presented with these scenarios and your squad? Yeah, I mean, I still fuck up a lot, frankly. I I'm playing with the secret squad, which is what you get for finishing every achievement. Uh, and they're really, really hard. They're really difficult because they're so ridiculously underpowered at first. But if you can hang in there through a couple of islands and, you know, power yourself up... And play decently through those islands, get your perfect islands, get, you know, uh, you know keep your grid up. Uh, you can actually get very powerful. Uh, they are, is it, it's, I guess it's a spoiler. Spoiler for Into the Breach, the secret squad are mechs who look like the bugs. So they're mechs 
but they are like remote controlled mechs who look exactly like the bugs that you have been fighting against. Okay. And uh, there are no pilots. So you don't get any of those nice pilot benefits. You do get, if you get your XP up, uh, you do get uh, things like, you know, grid defense or HP or whatever that normal pilots would get, but there is no actual pilot. Uh, and it costs an extra reactor core to use any non-cyborg abilities. So every single other ability in the game, you know, if you get it from a, a, an escape pod or if you get it from sort of purchasing it at the end of an island, uh, costs extra reactor cores to use. Uh, so it's very, very, very difficult uh, to kind of get started with them. But I've got to the place where I can have a really good run with them for at least a couple of islands. Then usually something falls apart in the end. Like I just get a little too over my head or I get a little too greedy. Uh, and that's kind of the problem I'm having. But I'm am I enjoying playing with this ridiculously hard squad? I'm playing mostly on normal. I play on hard sometimes, but I play mostly on normal because it feels about my pace, frankly. Uh, and I can get through, you know, the first couple of islands pretty quickly. Um you know, like 24-ish minutes. I'm pretty yeah. happy. Uh, you know, maybe a little slower than that if I feel like, no, I really want to get a perfect island each time. I really want to play, you know, optimally. But yeah, my thought process is somewhat internalized at this point. I can just kind of look at the board and see what I need to do and have sort of that, that feel uh, for what I need to do, which is really a wonderful, fantastic feeling. Like to actually just look at something and be like, this feels right, this feels right, this feels right, and not have to think about it completely consciously, at least at first. Obviously, once it gets a little harder and you get to the third and fourth island, it gets a lot harder. And I do actually need to stop and think for a second often. Uh, but yeah, it's it feels good to play this game. It just feels good to play this game at this point, and I fucking love it. Now, when you're like when you're playing a game like this, like I'm curious, is it a distraction? Is it comfort? Like when you're playing this, is it blocking out, like, dwelling on some of the stuff you're going through? Yeah. Or is it, like, a companion to it? Uh, it is very much uh, a distraction, but it feels like a yeah. healthy distraction. I'm, like, here, I'm an open book. I obviously have had issues with mental health in the past, and I'm uh, seeking help with that. I'm seeing seeking professional help. And so I'm learning a lot about uh, all kinds of things, about uh, how to distract yourself in a you know, in a positive way rather than a negative way. I already kind of do a lot of this. I already kind of function in this way uh, because I'm a busy person who enjoys having a lot of hobbies and yeah, jobs <laughs> and all that other stuff. I, I enjoy hobby jobs. Yeah, hobby jobs. I enjoy having uh, a lot of like healthy distractions, things that keep me away from, you know, from drinking or, or anything that I'm not saying drinking is always bad. Just I'm not doing much of it right now because it feels like a healthy decision not to do much of it right now. So um, yeah, it is very much like a healthy distraction. And I often will have, you know, like a Twitch stream in the background. I watch a lot of speedrunning. <laughs> I watch a lot yeah. of Zelda and uh, other N64 games. I've been watching a lot of GoldenEye speedrunning lately, uh, weirdly enough. I just find that also very comforting. That feels like a companion piece. The real distraction is playing Into the Breach. And then I have this, like, you know, the comforting sounds of a game I enjoyed a lot uh, at some point in my life and uh, sort of on to the side or podcast i've been listening to a lot of uh, citations needed because of course uh, i have been and uh, some mma podcasts so i've got like my little sort of side distraction i've got my key game that is really keeping uh my mind off of dwelling on negative feelings and it's it's been working pretty well at least for you know uh 
limited periods of time, right? It doesn't yeah. work for hours on hours on end, but you know, if I need an hour uh, of of like relatively healthy distraction, it's it's working pretty well for that for sure. That's yeah, that's uh, well, it's good to hear. Uh, first of all, it's <laughs> yeah. this sounds like a far healthier uh, like major breakup than I've ever had, <laughs> which uh, is like, and that's not not too. Let's say to put this. It's been a while, so the last time I went through something like this, uh, I was much younger. Yeah. And also much less in command of my emotions and had fewer effective, like, strategies or, you know, just uh, self-awareness about my mental health to help me navigate any of that. So my my default pattern through a lot of this, at least when it comes to situations like this, um, like, that pattern was set like 10 years ago or so and it's all pretty like those patterns are all pretty destructive i think sure um so like i still have a bit of leeriness with games as escapism in that sense uh because mm, no you know what i should i should hold up there actually (laughs) games were about the healthiest thing going on back then like (laughs) No, because sure. I'm, I'm flashing back you. and I'm like, I'm like, man, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. This was before even the first expansion. Uh, like, so very like old school World of Warcraft. And um, like all my friends, like it was just this like standing land party uh, that was good. I wasn't alone and it, it gave me like company and it took my mind off things and all that. Uh, but at the same time, like, it was in the context of me making like disastrous choices and decisions pretty much everywhere else. Yeah. Um, and so when I think back on it, like world of Warcraft was really good because, um, it was a really great escape and it was a way to be so like going out and seeing friends and people, especially when you still associate like, your ex or something with a lot of your friends or your circles like that is tough so games gave me a way to feel like i was still part of those groups without necessarily having to go out and like suck it up and do it yeah um the other thing that you know was was really nice around that period was um that was probably the most i've ever been in a total war uh to be honest because that was you know you just start another 20-hour campaign you know, just you finish one, just start over, crank up the difficulty, and it was, uh, it was you know, it was a job practically, and yeah. it it filled a lot of time in in a way that was really you know fun. But the problem is, life continues to move forward, <laughs> and the thing that hit me hard around that time was I was successfully keeping like I was successfully. Um, burying a lot of trauma but i don't think i was dealing with it and so like when the distractions started to fail or when the you know the the world was at my door and it was like dude you've got to pull it together and you know get back to being a productive member of society (laughs) uh when that happened it was like like a cave hermit emerging into the sun almost (laughs) right where i had like i i was completely uh incapable of of handling a lot of that stuff and it made it really seductive to sort of retreat back into games so i my with that stuff it's been so long and in general i haven't done that in a long time 
Um, but that was my pattern certainly was to become kind of a shut in with like really absorbing games that didn't demand too much of me. Mm -hmm. That was, that was the other thing is like, by that point with total war, I pretty much had total war figured out. Like it didn't matter. (laughs) I I was just gonna, you know, I knew what to do in a game of total war. I knew what I knew what to do in a game of uh, world of Warcraft. It didn't, I, I didn't have to, tax myself too much with that and so it wasn't very frustrating yeah but yeah it's uh like it's not something that it's something i look back on and i have mixed feelings about how i handled it yeah really the really the correct answer was i needed fucking therapy right but (laughs) like i was so on my bullshit though like it's it's not cheap you know like it's very I wish it was. I sure this is where I I I promise I'll get off the soapbox in like a second, but my fucking god, do we need better mental health resources in this country and also to kill the stigma around talking to a mental health professional who can actually help you and get through your bullshit and it doesn't need to be a woo-woo thing that we salty New Englanders have an issue with. Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. Off my soapbox. <laughs> well, yeah, and like I also just didn't uh, when I think back to how all that shook out, my the model I had was basically people in my family went to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and they got medications, right? But they didn't have therapy, yeah. and so I was very much on like I was I didn't know shit about shit, and mm-hmm. so I was very much like a no, I'm not taking any pills. These are my feelings, and I'm gonna own <laughs> them. Um, and in retrospect, I don't know, maybe I needed some medication. I might still need some medication, but if I do, it's, it's pretty borderline. But what I really needed at that point was some kind of talk therapy, like period exclamation point. I just needed to work through my feelings about a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. And I was very much not capable of doing that at that point i was very judgmental of the idea that i could not handle my own shit that is how i would phrase it to myself yeah uh when people suggested it and so i was very proud of what a good job i was doing handling my shit (laughs) uh but in in retrospect handling my shit meant like chain smoking uh (laughs) like serious like dangerous alcohol abuse yeah uh and mind-boggling amounts of games so i look back on it i'm like probably could have just upped the amount of games even yeah and if i'd gone to a therapist i would have been fine it was the other stuff that started to fuck things up right it's i mean it's so difficult because like what you need when you're hurting like it's it's really hard to tell somebody I don't know. I know there are healthier ways to deal with stress and less healthy ways to deal with stress. And Lord knows not everything about my approach is super healthy either. I have absolutely worked myself into a fucking burnout frenzy. Uh, And like being busy is really good and really healthy for me, but being too busy really isn't. And I've definitely hurt myself from working out too hard, even though I work out every day and what a healthy thing. But like you can also take this shit too far as well. And of course I will because... Uh, that's just how I'm built, right? Uh, moderation is difficult for me, but I am trying really hard, uh, to learn it for sure. And I'm also like, to be clear, um, making sure I spend a lot of time with friends and like, whew, trying to, trying to see a friend every day, almost, if not, if not every day, like five days a week, at least, 
uh, really trying to be very social. And then my, like, you know, alone time is when I'm playing games and sort of distracting myself and then like seeing friends and being social. Um, I, I've, I've been playing a lot of Sonic Mania plus as, as another thing that I've been playing. I've both been playing that socially sort of with friends and also just on my own because it's like a really happy, cheerful, well-designed, enjoyable game that is yeah. happy and nice and is a good distraction. But yeah, I sure need like good distractions right now. If I tried to play Bloodborne right now, it would put me in a dark fucking place. Well, it would not help <laughs> at all, I think. Uh, and not just for being difficult, but for being punishing uh, or, or feeling like I'm losing progress. I need to play stuff that is not... Uh, it, it doesn't need to be easy. I don't think Into the Breach is an easy game. Like, I, I definitely lose even after hundreds and hundreds of hours, and I definitely eat shit in that game. But it doesn't feel punishing in the ways that uh, certain other types of games will. And I think that's really, really important uh, for this to be successful. Like, Sonic Mania is not even an easy game either. I wouldn't call it an easy game. I'm, I'm actually kind of stuck on a boss right now. But it feels like I'm making progress. Yeah, it never feels punishing. And I think that's a really important aspect. If I felt like I was being punished by a game right now, I think it would be it would go all the way into an unhealthy spiral and not be like a healthy distraction that is challenging enough to, you know, be an actual distraction, uh, but not something that's like, oh, fuck. No, this is this is going to make me feel like I'm a failure in life right now. Yeah. This, is, <laughs> this is not the place to be, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's the... Um, it's a bit of the comfort game thing where I yeah. just need a world that feels uh, familiar or, you know, a place where I can feel safe and competent uh, yeah. at, at once. And it's tough if, like, a thing that I have a hard time doing uh, when, I'm in a, when I'm in a headspace like this is learning a new game. Sure. Or learning, or it can be a new game, but, like, a game not of a familiar type or not a, a sure. type that I'm not super comfortable with. Like, if there's a new immersive sim to play... I'm there. Like that's going to that's that's a layup. That's easy. <laughs> but harder for me would be to even though it would be a great time sink, when I'm in a headspace like that, a Souls game just wouldn't work at all oh. for me because that's going to be frustrating at a point where probably everything is fucking frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Uh and so that's that's just not going to work. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very <laughs> It's very precarious. I mean, I've gotten in a bad headspace when life was totally fine and I was playing Bloodborne. So it's like, oh, God, I need to be very careful <laughs> about that sort of stuff. Uh, really, really genuinely careful about it. Um, and like, you know, there's so much of this that uh, I can't play some of the games that gave me so much comfort in the past because they're associated with my ex in like mm -hmm. a really like special way. Right. So like. I can't go within like a hundred meters of animal crossing right now, even though that yeah. gave me so much comfort and I played a hundred hours or whatever of, uh, of new leaf when I was moving, when I was having a really hard time moving from San Francisco uh, to New York. And I was, I was really having a hard time thinking about making that transition. I played so much of that game and it, it was a place that made me feel at home and it made me feel happy and comforted. But you know, my ex gave me that game. And so like, I, I remember it's actually a little embarrassing, but like, whatever. Again, I like want to be open about stuff. Um, 
I think somebody mentioned something about Animal Crossing one day very shortly after the breakup, and I just had to, like, run to the bathroom at work and, like, be alone for a few minutes. I was just like, do not invoke the name of Animal Crossing right now. Yeah, uh, that's, oh, that is, that is the worst shit. Yeah. Is the stuff that you lose in the process yeah. of sort of a somewhat traumatic life transition where yeah. it's, and for me, like, there's just some stuff that, like, years later, uh, in not just related breakups, but just a variety of life circumstances, there is so much stuff that is like touched by these other contexts that there are great albums that I love, but I can't listen to them anymore or really enjoy them the same way because like, oh yeah, they played, uh, you know, that, that was the, that was the album that was in my car. Uh, you know, the, the winter, my, my family's home flooded for instance, right? Oh, like yeah. that was, yeah. oh yeah, that was right around the time the dogs died. Oh God. Uh, you know, just all, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so there's, there's so much stuff that it feels like, oh yeah, uh, you know, I'm losing access to some, some of my favorite things because they were my favorite things and now their meaning has been changed. Um, it's hard. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, I, I mean, so, like, one day I hope to play Animal Crossing again, but... Well, there'll be a new Animal Crossing. It's going to be a while. <laughs> it's going to be a while before See, I can hear we... the soundtrack. That's the thing. I have the plug-in in Chrome where it plays the soundtrack of whatever hour it is in the day of, in the game and stuff like that. You know, like, I really love Animal Crossing. I find it very comforting. So I'm kind of like, got to get rid of that plug-in. You know, it's yep. kind of... Kind of funny in a way. I, I at least have to laugh at it a little bit because it's upsetting. Uh, and sometimes I find a little bit of uh, comfort in humor as well. And just sort of like being honest about this shit and kind of laughing about it a little bit is helpful for me. So, yeah. Yeah. One day. One day Tom Nook and I will, will be back in the saddle. But that day will not, <laughs> not be for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's um with... Transitional moments, uh, it is useful to find... It's also useful to find a game that's just kind of a throwaway experience. Sure. Um, like, MMOs are great for this, right? The, you know, the treadmill of progress and success, you can, you can hop in and feel a vague sense of having achieved something. Uh, open world games do this a bit, too. I have found those have never resonated so much with me as when I am dealing with, uh, you know, some kind of major life transition or personal crisis. Um, You know, so something that's been going on with me this year um, is around New Year's, I started having like these attacks. Yeah. And at the time, they sure as shit felt like a heart attack. Yeah. And what well, we're at the end of July here, and I would say maybe for the last two weeks, the last two weeks have been the first time in 2018 where at least a couple times a week I have not felt, these last two weeks are the first weeks where I've not felt at least a couple times a week like I'm about to imminently perish. Oh my God, like, dude. Yeah. Yeah, it's been, it was like seven months of like, bad attacks that were eventually isolated to some sort of uh gi issue um an ulcer is is certainly what is certainly what it looks like and and treating that for months on end is uh what eventually has sort of cleared it up uh but had to have you know various procedures done 
And I think I'm I, I'm fingers crossed. I'm mostly out of the woods on this shit, but I hope so. For six months, I'm like walking on eggshells every day. I'm like, boy, I sure hope that I don't have one of those attacks today, or that I don't die. Um, and even after a point where, like, you know, physicians are telling you, well, there's nothing really wrong with you that's, that's you know, that's going to kill you. That's only so effective when, right. like, symptoms are cropping up in a way that makes it feel like, oh, shit, like, I need to call an ambulance. Um, so yeah. that was, like, one of the things that I've really been into this year uh, is... Assassin's Creed Origins was the first, uh, you know, AC, AC game I've gotten really, really into. I liked it last year. I fucking loved it this year uh, because, you know, classical Egypt was a very nice escape. Bayek yeah. was a fun person to hang out with, and <laughs> I was all in on that. Um, I think one of the reasons I was really, like, kind of furious with a game like State of Decay 2 was that that was going to be a game that was going to like really be a good escape game for me. Really something to just, you know, kick back with and, and relax. Yeah. And I didn't like it. Um, <laughs> it was a frustrating kind of a pain in the ass game in a lot of ways. Like everything it did was basically to make you feel overwhelmed and put upon. Mm. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, dude, I'm eating toast with nothing on it. And a hard-boiled egg with no seasoning, like, for oh. two meals a day. Like, I do not give a shit about the bad chemistry in our fucking garbage survival colony in State of Decay 2. And frankly, yeah. I resent that you're asking. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Games that, that want you to worry more about their bullshit than real-life problems are just the fucking, I'm done. Done yeah. with you. What was weird is sometimes I do like that stuff, but just not now. Right. Like, I'm okay with a hardcore, like, survival game and, and stuff like that, but... Well, I, I think there's a lot of reasons State of Decay 2 is actively kind of bad. Sure, uh, But sure. even, like, even setting those aside, like, I think just right now, any game that's like, well, you better... Uh, it's been five minutes since you worried about freezing to death. You better go do something or else your character is going to freeze to death. Just not what I want when I'm in the middle of an ongoing health crisis. Right. Because it brings you back to that sometimes. Like, or, oh, yeah. or it can. It can make you feel like, oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, my God, my body. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which is not a great feeling when you're trying to distract yourself from your body. <laughs> or your mind. You know? Right. <laughs> Games that are all about, like, um, entropy will destroy you. And I'm like, good. Good. That's just what I need to hear right <laughs> now. Yeah. Which is funny because I'm the opposite uh, with movies and TV and, and like, uh, not passive, but other types of entertainment. Mm -hmm. Like, when I felt really terrible, you know, right after the breakup and I was just trying to fill the hours of my day. Uh, and, of course, it was, like, a long weekend right away. And I was just like, every other minute of my life, I would love a long weekend. And right now, I just have to fill hours of the day. I was so mad. Uh, all, I, all I wanted to watch were horror movies. Like, I wanted to watch okay. the most fucked up terrible body horror just yeah give it to me uh because you know I i've talked about this before but there are times where i feel like horror is the most honest genre and i've i've uh crystallized my thinking on it i don't think it's because of fear actually i think it's more because of disgust i actually think that 
Horror is the most honest, emotionally honest genre for me in my life. Because it's the only thing that's actually honest about how much it sucks to be a human being who's going to die. And, like, is afraid of getting sick or dying or any of the horrible things that are associated with being uh, uh, made of meat, right, in this world. And it's the only thing that is, like, fully, truly cuts through the bullshit and is like, hey, you know what? You're a meat sack and you're afraid of being a poisoned meat sack. Uh, So I was very into, like, give me all the just nastiest horror I can watch. Um I don't even remember what I was watching during this time. I just remember being like, horror is all I want. (laughs) Uh, And it's funny because in a game, a horror game maybe would not have felt very good, especially in the the worst of the worst of this time. It may have actually felt like kind of panic inducing or just really unpleasant or really just like, and I find those games very helpful sometimes. I obviously loved Alien Isolation so much. I've talked about it so much on this podcast. I loved Soma. Not that Soma was super, super scary in the moment to moment, but there's a lot of dread in that game. And I feel like those would have been a terrible choice. But watching horror, for whatever reason, was all I wanted to do. And I'm not entirely sure why that is. I mean, obviously, I could I could do the, like, armchair psychologist thing and be like, well, clearly when... Uh, you, you don't feel responsible for your character or whatever. Maybe it's a little bit more freeing for you to engage in horror or something along those lines. I don't know. But it is like a weird and interesting divide, right? Where it's like in this type of entertainment, when I feel this bad or I, I'm, I'm really having a hard time, I really I want all the way this, but I want all the way the opposite for a different type of entertainment. It's just funny. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I um. I think for me, like when, like when I was dealing, like when my symptoms were at their worst this year, uh, one of the things I went back and I played was Dishonored, uh, Dishonored yeah. Two, actually, yes. and loved it. It was it was a blast. Um, God, I just I, I admire that game so much. It's just my favorite shit. But I also consider it kind of a meaty, thoughtful experience, and that's not what I needed anywhere else. Like, I became incapable of reading anything demanding. Uh, I couldn't watch, like, very serious shows. Like, I got halfway through the Americans' uh, final season, and oh, I was just yeah. like, I can't, like, I just couldn't. There, like, there was some stuff going down, and I was like, I actually, like, I can't handle this right now. Uh, yeah. I can't watch this falling apart, too, right now. And, yeah. like, watching people just going through their lives, like, sick with dread. Uh, about like you know everything falling apart, I was like, that's that's just not what I need right now. What I need <laughs> is the dumbest fucking shows. Yeah. I need you know that's what that like. Thank God, Billions came on the air, right? Like <laughs> I was just like, give me that Billions, give me that Riverdale. Just, just I'm gonna eat it all up. Yeah, because uh, that's about where I was. But when it came to games, um, like I was very, I was very much like, give me uh, you know darker. And slightly more uh, thoughtful experiences. Uh, you know, give me every video game apocalypse imaginable. I I want it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's wild to it's wild to think about what needs we have that that games fill in like such radically different contexts, right? It's again, it's not something I have like uh, the armchair psychologist uh, answer ready for, but it is really really interesting to me pretty much always will be like what player experience goals or or sort of psychological goals developers have for their players and like 
man, how much some of those are just what you need. That is just what the doctor ordered, or at least for like part of your day or, or you know, some sort of healthy distraction. It is it is wild to me. Yeah. Oh, I, I also, oh my God, I need to watch The Americans, but that's also something I sort of associate a little bit uh, with my ex. So that one yeah. might be a couple months, but I'll probably get to that one before Animal Crossing. <laughs> you know, as we go through the A's, uh, right, well, right, actually, right. No, that doesn't work because America's is before. Well, actually, yeah. All right, all right. That's before it. Just, just before it. So that'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um. The last thing I guess I'll say uh, on this is that I've been finding No Man's Sky to be a pretty good distraction right mm. now. However, I'm not having great luck right now uh, with No Man's Sky. So it's not like the most chill game. It's actually a little bit hard because I have like shitty starter planets and I still can't get a warp drive and I'm just trying to I'm stuck in a little bit of a loop, uh, yeah. which isn't like the best thing. But I anticipate getting through that hump because I know I did uh, in the original release sort of got a, I, I really disliked the first couple of hours and then sort of got over the like, oh, no warp. You can't really go to that many places. Once you have your warp, you can kind of really engage and really enjoy yourself a little bit more. So I'm I'm anticipating liking next better than yeah. regular no man's sky it kind of using it as well as a as like a nice pleasant hopefully uh positive distraction as we as we round out the summer so fingers crossed for for good no man's sky luck i guess call rng jesus i guess for for that one uh, yeah <laughs> all right uh did you want to talk a little bit more about this or shall we go into our weekend correspondence i'm ready for some weekend correspondence all right, I'll, I'll read this first letter. It's a good one. Holy shit, it is a good one. Uh, signed, Consternated in Calgary, which you know is going to be real good. All right, Consternated writes, Hey there, y'all. This is really long. Feel free to skip to Cliff Notes version. Uh, and Rob, you already did some editing here, so I appreciate that. I have been trying recently to rely on my own opinion in regards to evaluating works. I always eventually read or watch other people's takes on media because they often have really interesting or thought-provoking things to say. But I find that in trying to analyze a work on my own, it helps me to develop my critical voice. It feels really good when I'm able to close read something and come away feeling like I understood the underlying messages of the work or symbolism, imagery, etc. It's still really terrifying when my takes conflict with voices I admire and respect. So I was really frightened by what it said about me that I disagree with both of you about Rob's most recent weekend project, The Last Jedi. And then there's a parenthetical. Honestly, if you want to stop reading, I don't blame you. I promise I don't talk about the merits of the movie at all. Back to the letter. Part of me is afraid that my impression is incorrect. After all, both of you really enjoyed the film, and you both have better developed critical voices than I do. Another part of me is afraid that my opinion of the film is biased uh, by my cis male het orientation, and that my gripes of the story, visuals, and pacing are just window dressing for some subconscious misogyny that I haven't addressed. I've been gnawing on that thought for a while, but I was able to hand wave it away with the platitude that I've never really enjoyed any Star Wars movie, and that universe just doesn't appeal to me in the way it does to so many others. Uh, I don't hate TLJ the way some people do, and there are standout moments and characters. I'm just extremely lukewarm on the work as a whole. And then I saw The Incredibles 2, and I thought it was a mess. Alright, spoilerish ahead. I'm not crazy, right? The dialogue is bizarrely stilted, and the score is really dry in some pivotal moments. The plot is airlifted from the first film, and it doesn't feel like Bird winking, sorry, Brad Bird, I think is uh, yeah. the director. Sorry, uh, editorial note there. Winking at his distaste for sequelization. Those characters still work, it just felt hollow. And now I'm worried I'm just an asshole. 
Both of those movies have been lauded by people who I align myself with politically and emotionally, and The Last Jedi in particular has been demonized by a bunch of men who seem like absolute shitheads. My problems with these movies feel like issues with structure, pacing, plot, writing, etc. But I'm worried about what my feelings about these films say about me. Do you ever find yourself second-guessing how your own biases may impact your perceptions of media and art? Do you have a way of correcting for these biases? And last, am I a ghoul? Cheers, consternated in Calgary. Oh, my friend. <laughs> Look, you're always allowed to dislike things and say it's not to your taste, right? Like, it's But it's always good to ask why. It is always good to ask why and i am super glad consternated i'm not necessarily glad that you're like it sounds like you might be beating yourself up a little bit here and i don't i don't know that you need to beat yourself up but it is always a good idea to be like why don't i like this and like examine that you're you're doing the work my friend and like for that i i think that is a very positive and good thing but there are also sometimes things that people will say are really great and really awesome that just aren't for you and that's also okay and it's okay to kind of walk away and say like Hey, I appreciate uh, that this work did a lot for a lot of people. I appreciate, you know, if you, if you are, it sounds like your politics are maybe similar to ours. So maybe you appreciate what it did structurally in, in terms of politics. Maybe you appreciate that this was kind of like a fuck you to a lot of established things uh, in the Star Wars universe. And there's there's a spirit of, of actually giving a shit about fellow human beings. And like, you can appreciate that about the work and think that, hey, this isn't the movie for me. Like, that's okay. I always tell this story that, like, I think The Godfather is one of the most masterfully shot and edited pieces of film ever. And I just, it's it's not really my favorite movie. That series is just not super for me. And, like, I could still appreciate it uh, from a craft point of view. It does sound like you have problems with the craft of this movie, uh, which... <sighs> That does get into difficult territory, right? Because, like, craft is usually the thing that people agree on more or less. It's more your opinion of how uh, elegantly put together that craft is or how elegantly uh, executed that craft is. I think there are some goofy-ass shots in that movie. Like, do I do I love everything about Space Leia flying, you know, through the, <laughs> through the stardust? Like, I think it's a wonderful, triumphant moment. Uh, like... Speaking in terms of, you know, somebody who loves Carrie Fisher and it was very emotional to see that when it first came on. Do I think that necessarily lives up to uh, repeated viewings? No. So, like, it, there are, you could always have that argument that, like, okay, there, there's some issues here for sure. Uh, but at, at my core of my response, I want to say good on you for looking into why you feel the way you feel. That is, like, the most important thing uh, in developing a critical voice, I think. And also that, like, Dude, it, it is okay if you don't like something. Like, don't take a shit on it and don't tell people they're stupid, but, like, it's okay if something's not for you. That That is okay. Like, it's it's allowed, you know? And also maybe take a shit on it. I don't know. Like, I like... <laughs> I like explaining to people where I'm coming from, like why why I don't like something. I'm not trying yeah. to say like you're an idiot for enjoying something that I really like do not, but at the same time sometimes I think it's important to explain what you're saying that you feel like other people are not or or yeah. why your reaction is alienated from others. 
Well, um, articulating articulating things isn't taking a shit on it, right? Yeah, uh, it, but doesn't it, it kind of feels like that that line has gotten a little blurry, right? That's, like that's a very good point. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just because of the way conversations happen now, especially online. Yeah. But it feels like having good critical discussions has gotten... What's the... What has here? Twitter ruined this for us as well? No, Is I don't think it's Twitter. Saying? I don't think it's Twitter. Okay. I think it's... The larger sort of sphere of uh, yeah. people I'm, talking about media. <laughs> I think there's a tendency to defend what is really popular and what feels good. Gotcha. And to defend that against wealth, to to take that to the point of defending something against well-founded critique, right? Like, gotcha. Yes. For instance, um, I I feel like I see this a lot with Marvel movies. Mm-hmm. Like, and it doesn't. It almost doesn't matter which Marvel movie. Uh, because uh, like literally you saw some like reactions similar to this happening both around Black Panther and Infinity War. So like basically back to back movies where you would have these sort of, uh, like it felt to me like there's a tendency to approach like genuine serious criticism of a popular work of entertainment as trying to be pretentious (laughs) or arrogant or dismissive of something that a lot of people take a lot of like personal joy in. Right. And that is, I think that's made it tougher to communicate criticism effectively and have criticism received effectively because so much turns into this immediate battle about whether or not the criticism is coming from a place that respects the points of view and feelings of people, not the critic. Yes. I think um, you're absolutely right about that. Like yes. I'm thinking back to like how pissed off people were at that infinity war review by a critic who was basically like, I have no idea what the fuck this movie is. It's, it, you know, it's everything in this movie is dependent on you having seen a shit ton of other movies and nothing yeah. stands for itself. And there were a lot of people, like, that thing got dunked on and passed around for weeks and weeks and weeks. And, like, I think it was the New Yorker that published that. Published that. Might have been a New mm-hmm. York Times review. But I think the, the, the point there is that that's not necessarily... That, that's not necessarily an invalid line of criticism to, right. to a movie like this, right? Like... Because that that really smacks of uh, what you hear what you heard in video games for fucking ages, which is that well you should have gotten someone who likes the genre to, yeah, to review right? it. Oh, this person was just the wrong person to review that game because they don't like stuff, stuff like this. For fans of the genre, right? And like, yeah, this is what you see repeated again and again. It's like, no, no, no. The only person who can speak to my experience, the only person who can speak about this this piece of media, is somebody who's going to share all the biases and preferences and in some cases dare i say the complacency of the target audience right and i i that is a frustrating place to end up and so it is sometimes hard to it sometimes feels fraught to argue that not only do you not enjoy something that tons of people do but in fact you think it is capital b bad right yeah so i guess my godfather comparison actually really doesn't 
work here at all. Because I think it's capital G good, but also just not for me. Um, I'm trying to think of something that I actually think is bad and crappy uh, and not well made, but is well loved. Um, I'm sure I have examples of this, um, but I can't come up with it right off the top of my head necessarily. Uh, So much of this just reeks, I think, of also just how fucking toxic the discourse is over literally anything yes at this point because of uh, how hard it is to sort of like first of all have a a well-reasoned articulated opinion about something without hurting other people or people perceiving that you are trying to hurt them or arguing in good faith right it's impossible at this point in time not that it was ever i don't know how possible it was in the past but maybe it was uh but it's completely impossible right now to talk to human beings on the internet and actually know if you're arguing in good faith or if they are secretly a white nationalist who you know whatever and like they're just sort of engaging you in the argument that's the playbook right of like engage in the argument play you know play debate team uh instead of actually that's what they actually think and feel uh so that's like one level of this right is although increasingly is anyone to actually talk about anything right Although increasingly anyone deploying debate team tactics or terminology, instantly you know. Instantly you yep. fucking know what you're dealing with. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got that. So I guess maybe we're working on it. We'll, we'll learn what the next tactic is in the fucking playbook of, like, pissing in the discourse, right? Yeah. But also amongst people who are arguing in good faith, it does become this weird, um, this weird sort of groupthink, right? Of, like... Well, I am showing my allegiance uh, to good politics because I like this thing, right? Instead of actually liking the thing, which can happen sometimes, I think, uh, with with some movies or some games or some whatever whatever piece of media you're talking about, it becomes something to like rally around instead of like oh the work itself taken taken critically and looked at critically. And the role of a critic, uh, an honest uh, critic, is to take all of it uh, into play, right? Like, take it, take its uh, faults. Even if you think its intentions are great and it does good things, there are faults with everything in the universe. And sometimes those add up to a point where, hey, this thing isn't actually great anymore. I really love The Last Jedi. I saw it again a few weeks ago. Uh, and I, I wasn't sure if it was going to hold up. I saw it, you know, opening night and was like, yeah, what a, what a fuck you to Star Wars, like old shitty Star Wars stuff. What a fuck you to, like, shitty you know, fascist politics that, that are, have come up around the anti-fascist politics that the original Star Wars suppo- was supposedly about, uh, and then got really super, super corporate. <clears throat> and then I was like, but, but did the movie really, did it really hold up? And then I watched it again a few weeks ago, and like, yeah, I think there's some goofy shit in there. I think there's some things that don't work super well, but I really enjoyed it as a movie. Like, I, I felt good watching the movie and felt like I liked its, its spirit. I like this movie's, you know, wait, how do you, is it chutzpah? Chutzpah? I'm not going to do it right. Yeah, chutzpah. chutzpah. Yeah. I like this movie's chutzpah, you know, more than anything. Uh, and, but I have absolutely had that experience though with some movies that are just like, I, I feel like I should like this or do I not like this enough or what? what is the fucking discourse I've got wrapped into? And then it's, oh, it just gets depressing and tiring. <laughs> I so when I watched Last Jedi, I think and I'm still not completely over this feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm conflicted by the fact that to me the movie almost only works as a commentary and reaction to like 30 years of Star Wars. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because if it does, if if you don't, if you take it out of that context, I think this is a goofy fucking movie that <laughs> has the most. Everything moves at the speed of plot. Nothing is really like. Nothing really feels like it has internal consistency in this movie. Like the story does, motivation does, the char- the characters sure, sure. do. That stuff is all checked off. But by the end of that movie, what you, the conclusion you have drawn is that distance is not a thing that actually exists in <laughs> Star Wars. Like or numbers. Yeah. Yeah. No. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything is like a everything is a five minute spaceship trip away from everything else. Uh, you know, billions of people can like the galaxy might be full of like billions of people and they can be snuffed out uh, by like super weapons right and left. But at the same time, like the galaxy will revolve around like literally thirty or forty people. Uh, like yeah. the, the the new Rebel Alliance is just now like some dudes on spaceships. Uh, <laughs> you know, like basically very dro- few dudes on spaceships too. <laughs> Pardon. A very small number of dudes on spaceships. Yeah. And so, like, I'm watching, like, when I watch that movie, it feels like such a. The best things about that movie are the things it says about what Star Wars means and became and what the fandom became and yeah. how messages of the previous movies were interpreted uh, in the years since they were made. And. Given the movie exists in that context, when we live in the actual world and not in some like context-free vacuum, I really like The Last Jedi. I love it. Yeah. But there is a part of me that also grew up thinking Star Wars was real. I don't mean like it's real, but like all the fucking gate, like all not even gatekeeping, but all the like the fandom bullshit. Because uh, to <laughs> me, it wasn't like necessarily about gatekeeping. I just want to know more about that universe, right? So, like, yes. I'd read the fucking expanded novels. I would yeah. read those fucking technical manuals and, like, th- try to, like, what is what, what what is the Star Wars universe? What is happening in the broader universe beyond what the, what the movies show? And the expanded universe answered that and tried to, like, really patch out some of the dodgy internal consistency of the movies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But The Last Jedi, like... They already kind of erased that when they got rid of the expanded universe, but then the Last Jedi completely just annihilates any con- concept of uh, realism in that in yeah. that universe. And so, while I'm watching the Last Jedi, there's always this part this part of me that's like, I'm not sure this really, I'm not sure this is actually good as anything <laughs> other than a really brilliant piece of like meta cinema about yeah. one of the defining cultural events of um, our and our parents' lifetimes. And that's a, yeah. that's a thing worth making, but I'm yeah. also, I'm also sitting there watching it. I'm like, I could see why someone would just fucking hate this <laughs> and not necessarily because they're like, Oh, I hate that. Like, you know, Ray is in it and she's better than Kylo and she's not a Skywalker. Like fuck those people. <laughs> Yeah, but I know I, many of those. <laughs> yeah, but, but there's yes, there's yes. a part of me even that is like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, it just it, like yeah. it doesn't make sense with what we knew of the universe once upon a time. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong at all. Like, it is a goofy fucking movie. Like, <laughs> for sure. I I just also love that 
Star Wars got to be this fucking goofy because it always was goofy. Not not this completely unhinged from reality or or whatever the you know some things that we know about the universe, but like. I sort of love that it's just like, well, we're going to just make a dumb cartoon now, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and also, uh, fuck you, fascists. It, it it reads to me like Steven Universe Star Wars more than anything else, which maybe tells you a little bit more about like where my head yeah. is at and where my priorities are for sure. But yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong at all. Like, I, you know... I think that's a very fair read on Star Wars: The Last Jedi. But. Yeah, like yeah, because like Rogue One, that's the Star Wars I know and like lo- like have traditionally loved, and so like Rogue One is a very comfortable movie for me to watch. I'm like, yeah, this mm-hmm. uh, this is exactly what I want. This owns Last Jedi. I'm like, this is the movie that probably needed to be made, and also I do kind of love that. Um, it feels like a very daring movie. Yes, because again. It's a meta, it, it, like the entire movie is a meta commentary on its own fandom. Yeah. And somebody was allowed to make a movie about that yes. with a huge budget and the original cast. And in that score, it feels like a much more daring and provocative work of art than, say, Blade Runner 2049, which is yes. great craft, great filmmaking. There's a lot that I really like. love in that movie, I think. I need to watch it again. I'm, I'm kind of I dreading the experience. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I'm worried I'm going to be like, oh, this fucking sucks. But <laughs> 2049 feels like a very reverential sequel to Blade Runner. And oh, it's yes. going to continue those themes in a very mature and serious way. And try to be like worthy and authentic to the original. Last Jedi is literally showing up and be like, and just being like, man, that those were fucked up dreams and aspirations those movies gave us, huh? Let's <laughs> let's unpack some of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually kind of want to watch it again, even though I recently watched it. Because uh, it it feels good, man. It feels good to watch that shit. Uh, also, the- it's hot. Did I mention this ever on the podcast? How hot that movie is. The like. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It, like, I almost said the sex scene because you told me you. you yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it because there was that piece that um. Oh god, I forgot her name. Uh, I'll link it in the show notes though. That like Kylo and Rey actually have like the hottest relationship in all of Star Wars history, and like all this sort of like it's obviously a PG movie, but like. Some of the fucking imagery, like how sweaty that giant fight scene. It was just like, oh boy, this is fun. Like there's just, ugh. There's a lot of attractive people helping each other finish. You know, they they really are. They sure are, aren't they? (laughs) Uh, Anyway, sorry. No, no, it's it's very much to the point. Um, (laughs) My God, Driver is so good in that role. Because like... Somehow, the biggest piece of shit character is still utterly magnetic to watch, even though, like, by design, he is a fucking toxic adolescent. He sure is Darth Millennial. Yes, yes, absolutely. Like, he's not likable, and yet, like, yeah. Uh, Regarding the the bigger question, uh, second-guessing biases, your perceptions, uh, correcting for them. Um how do you go about that? Like, is this something you wrestle with? Like, what's your what's your process? Yeah, I mean, definitely. Especially going back uh, several years when I was much less aware of a lot of the, you know, when I had just started at the ACLU, I feel like I still 
had a lot to learn about all kinds of things that just weren't in my life experience and why I thought certain things were funny. Uh, you know, like, God, I used to think Eminem was a... I used to, not worship, but I used to really love uh, Eminem's first two albums, the first two, like Marshall yeah. Mathers LP and the Slim Shady LP. Really, really, really love them. Even though I found a lot of the shit in them intensely, intensely problematic. Uh, and I suppose now I could still listen to those songs and be like, wow, this is brilliant, but it's fucking toxic, man. And a lot of sort of my wrestling with that comes down to that. Like, how much toxicity versus, like, content I can handle personally and I, I can stomach personally. Uh, and, like... That, I guess that's not specifically about bias, but it is very much about sort of being honest with yourself and it's sort of looking at why you're reading things the way you're reading them or why you think something is funny or why you think something is frustrating. It's just kind of good to know thyself in a lot of those situations. Uh, and I certainly have biases. I think we all do, right? I, a lot of it is just working against them and sort of like doing your homework in a way, like going going out and like this is the very entry-level answer, but like... If you don't know, for example, much about uh, trans rights, uh, the thing to do is to definitely find some decent resources uh, and, and do a little reading and actually kind of like educate yourself a little bit. Like just get yourself to the point where you can converse about things. Uh, and, and like, I'm not saying to go off on the internet and try to converse with people about things you don't know anything about. Please don't do that. That is not what, <laughs> that's not the answer. Uh, I just mean like get yourself to the point where you can actually have a basic one-on-one level understanding of some things. Um, that has been very helpful for me in my life. And not just that I've never fucked up on a lot of these things, because I certainly have. Uh, but a lot of reading can be very helpful. And it also helps to just know that you have a bias and know to work against it and know that that is like a really important thing to do and kind of do that work. A lot of therapy is learning something that you do uh, and learning to work against it in, a f in increasingly effective ways. So, uh, you know, be your own therapist. <laughs> um, yeah, I think with me, I have this uh, recurring fear. It's not even a fear. I know for a fact I'm doing this. Like, mm -hmm. If you like study my media consumption quantitatively, if you were to look look at my bookshelves, a I a bit of a sausage fest, Rob. Is that 100%, where you're going? Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. Like, uh, like yes, I am the sort of person who can like go all day talking about like how much I fucking love uh, Michael Mann movies, and I'm always ready to discuss that. But what does it say about me that like? Michael Mann movies are almost the only movies that are going to instantly motivate me to like just go fucking deep diving on that shit, uh, right? Um, yeah. And the same goes for you know what I tend to read, mm -hmm. and it is not a conscious bias. Um, like there's there's like the thought never crosses my mind. Oh well, you know. You got two mysteries here. They both look good. Uh, this one's written by a dude. Hell yeah. <laughs> None of this chick lit for me. That doesn't occur to me. And right. yet, there's a bias that has been reproduced in my media consumption consistently, and it is severe. Yeah. And 
so how do I correct for that? Um, the answer is I make self-aware statements like this one and then I go back to being thoughtless, I guess. Like, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> shitty, but I'm like thinking about it. I'm like, well, what are you actively doing to combat it? And the problem is this, like for a lot of the stuff I'm talking about where these biases are replicated, it's off our stuff that I don't think about. I'm not th considering my consumption in that way, right? Like I'm not being right. critical in, in my consumption in that way. I'm just, I go to the bookstore and I check out the mystery section and I'm not thinking like, well, time to go in and make sure that I read uh, the latest exciting mysteries from female authors. I just go by and I just go and I, I read the authors I know and I buy stuff that looks good based on that. Um, but the end result is, again, like a pretty severe bias. Uh, and I'm not sure that's, I'm not sure that's biasing like my pers I'm not sure it's biasing like my output that much, but the problem is there's kind of a garbage in garbage out thing where right. what it is creating is an inability to see beyond certain perspectives. It is blinding me right. to things and that concerns me. Um so yeah, uh clearly I should be thinking about the way to correct for something like this, I guess, honestly, is to approach it more like work, uh, is to assign, yeah. like, is to make a point of get the fuck out of those bubbles and read, like, do your homework. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> read, a, read a blog about, about the most exciting mystery authors, women who are writing right. mystery novels. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that is the way to do it. But, uh, the, even saying that the part there's a part of me that's resisting like but I don't want I don't want this shit to become work you know that's that's the that's the part of it that I resist is like at that point it sounds like course curriculum and so here's yeah go ahead no yeah so it sounds like course curriculum and then I'm, then I'm a little bit bummed out because I'm like oh but it's just so much, so much more fun and easy to be sort of thoughtless about this and <laughs> uh, fuck it it's not like I'm being openly sexist uh, it's just it's just implicit bias, so I'm good, uh, which is extremely not helpful. But there you go. You, well, but you have an idea. You can use you can use the fact that you're on a podcast and ask for recommendations. So it's not work. Somebody else can give you the recommendation. You can be like, oh, thanks, thanks for this rad mystery novel that a lady wrote. I appreciate that. Right? That's true. Maybe. That's true. Maybe. All, all right. So all right. So give right me in. folks. I need the all right. Feminist Red Harvest. Go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, but see, like, good luck with that. I mean, I'd be willing to bet, because I've known a couple of women who wrote mystery novels, that there are some really good lady-run mystery novels. I bet there are. No. They're out there. Also, military history. That's their thing. Yeah. Like, And to be fair, um, there are a few books on my to-read list that came out pretty recently in the last few years. Uh it seems like there's a decent number of like women military historians coming out of Australian nice. academia for some reason. Nice. Uh, but That's cool. so there's a, there's a few on my list there. But like, boy, talk about structural <laughs> talk about issues of yeah. self selection <laughs> and structural bias uh, in a yeah. field. Like that one. That, that one's gonna that be that one's gonna, gonna be, be trickier. That one's gonna be tough, you know. But I, I'm sure it'll be worth it's some effort. It sounds like there, there's that little pocket at least that you can. You can go take a look at my help, you know. 
Well, there we go. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wish I had something better for this, obviously. I wish I had better no, no, advice. No, no, I have I'm biases, just... too. Like, I clearly, like... I, it, for me, I, I worry that I just like a lot of very shallow things. <laughs> like, I, I genuinely am very, like... Well, the, this was a sexy sci-fi show, and that was hot. Like, I, I worry sometimes that I am self-selecting the, like, queer bimbo, yep. like, affect or something, you know? And Dude, I, so like, I worry, too. I'm like, what I does it say too. about me that, like, the deepest thing I can talk about is the Americans? Like, great show. Love the Americans. Great, pe- yeah. great work of art. But, like, lately, that's about as hardcore as I get. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the, the Americans is the high bar for me. Like, and, and I think about like, again, what was on syllabi, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago and right. like st- stuff that is still on my, like, I should get around to watching that shit. I should get around to reading that. And yeah. here I am like, or what I could do is <laughs> I could watch James Holden get down with <laughs> Naomi. I mean, Hey, don't knock the expanse. No, there shall be no knocking of the expanse. I've been reading those books. They're pretty entertaining. <laughs> but I like it's real. I really worry that I've gotten less uh, intelligent. <laughs> like after grad school that it just like it tanked. Like the, I will always worry about that. I will always worry that my media consumption makes me like very shallow in some ways. And uh, hey. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to work on that. Something I'm gonna have to work on. You know, that's yeah. how we look at things, right? Do we want to do. We that might need to edit that whole or... part out. No, no, we're fine. We're fine. Oh, no. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, but I'm like, I'm going to get justly roasted. Uh, but I'm probably also going to get some good suggestions. So uh, yeah, it'll be worth it. You'll have some education out of it, right? Hopefully. Yeah, hundred hundred percent. Uh, we are running a bit over time, I suppose. Alright, you want to just go into weekend projects? Yeah. Yeah, we should. Alright. Alright, so we'll have that letter next time. Yeah. Uh, you know, next week, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, Rob, next week. Rob, what are you, what's your weekend project? What are you watching or reading or listening to? <laughs> oh no, on the heels of that conversation, too. Uh, what, uh, yeah, what, uh, feminist work are you engaging with at the moment? I'm watching New Girl. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm near the end of uh, of of watching uh, New Girl, uh, which yeah. is a a Fox sitcom, and it has quietly become one of my favorite sitcoms, maybe of all time. Um, it started out. If you, if you look at sort of the origins of, of the series, uh, it really started out as like a Zoe Deschanel uh, like vehicle, okay. And that made the early for the early part of the series kind of tough to get into because it was very much like the stereotype of Zoe Deschanel as like the um, manic pixie dream girl, but the sitcom version of it. Uh, in some ways, yeah. just quirky, um, you know, offbeat, a very Liz Lemon inspired character, like <laughs> someone sure. who in the fiction of the show is like, oh, just a complete like disaster area and unattractive. But oh, wait, it's a beautiful actress playing her. You know, a lot of yeah, that. they just put glasses on her. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And 
it, so it took me a while to to sort of get with the show, but now I'm nearing the end of my run with it, and it is turning into one of my favorite sitcoms. And it is reminding me a lot of what I loved about Party Down, uh, okay. which is that New Girl for a lot of its run, particularly around uh, the character of uh, the guy who sort of ends up becoming the leading man, Jake Johnson, but the, the same could be applied to almost every character in the cast. These are all characters that start out as hugely flawed um, and in ways that cannot just be resolved in the space of one episode. Like, even, like, I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. There's, there's, there's a lot that I enjoy, especially in those early seasons. But Brooklyn Nine-Nine, you always get the sense that everyone just... Their intentions are good. They love each other. Anything that bad that happens is primarily a misunderstanding that will be cleared up within 30 minutes. It'll be fine. New Girl has like arcs for these characters that unfold across seasons. And here at the end of the, you know, nearing the end of the series, um, in the next last season, you're actually starting to see characters sort of come into themselves. Uh, finally starting to grow up and deal with their shit in really like actually productive ways and their relationships becoming genuinely healthy and supportive, but in ways that feel very earned, right? Like, like there are characters, like there's a lot of moments in these seasons now where tensions are building up over long ago disagreements about, choices these other characters have made or uh directions they've chosen to go with their lives and it has this very convincing feeling of like these are characters who when the series started were in their like late 20s and now they're like they're in their early 30s and there's this sense that like we can't be doing this for much longer you know what i mean like there's a certain point where you can't you can't just be sitting around saying like well life hasn't begun yet Right. Or you'll be good tomorrow. Like you actually just have to start changing and growing up and new girl actually carries that off really, really well. And it's like, that's what reminds me of party down party down. Um, is a, it's a really bleak show, uh, a very sad show, but also I think captures better than any other sitcom I've ever seen. Maybe better than any piece of art I've seen exactly what it was like to be, in your twenties in a creative field in the mid two thousands and like early, like around 2010, like it captures that feeling of there's nothing out there. There are, there's one break for every 50 people who want one. uh, And everything is tenuous and everything is terrifying. And the end of that series, you can read it optimistically or pessimistically that like that series can end on a hopeful note if you want it to, or it can end on a slightly like ironic and tragic one. Um, and New Girl is like the sweeter version of that uh, because it has more of a history among these characters. And these characters are starting to find focus of what their adulthood is actually going to look like and how their relationship to each other and the room they're going to make for each other in their lives is going to change uh, as phases change in their life. And there are so few shows that deal with this stuff and deal with it well. Um, I guess the comparison would maybe be like How I Met Your Mother, which does handle that stuff well, but I so badly just wanted to murder everyone in that show. 
uh, after a certain point. <laughs> that I don't know. Uh, that was not for whatever sure. reason. That was a show I did not. Lo- I did not love that show. New Girl. Yeah. Um, I do. It also helps that New Girl has just a tremendously funny cast. Uh, and in the sixth or seventh season, it's at a point where you've got the sort of cast that you barely have to write jokes because all you need is a scenario, and yeah. these characters almost take it from there. God, yeah, that's a that's a beautiful dynamic when that actually happens. Yeah, it feels like that's somewhat rare, but like when that really happens and you can really get a sense of it as the viewer, that is fucking magic. Oh man. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, every like everyone gets their bits, uh, but I, like shout out has to go to uh, like Lamorne Morris, who is plays this character Winston Bishop, who starts out as kind of a straight man, but somewhere around th- season three they realize that like he has the gift for being the most straight facedly absurd character on the show, and then they just lean into that. And, like, he becomes yeah. just this, like, font of unhinged comedy. Uh, just completely, like, kind of unmoored from reality. It's great. Highly recommended. Oh, so good. All right. I, uh, so for me, my weekend project, I just finished watching GLOW Season 2. Okay. GLOW stands for Gorgeous Ladies of Wrestling. And it's a fictionalized uh, TV series that's sort of based on the documentary about... Uh, the actual 80s, uh, very goofy production uh, of of all women wrestling that also was a variety show and had like SNL style skits and other really goofy, wonderful uh, shit, but also a lot of racism. Uh, So take that how you will. Uh, I loved the first season. I thought it was really, really fun. It was really interesting. And it sort of hinted at its politics. It didn't really wear its politics on its sleeve the way it does in season two. At first, it was kind of like, Hey, they kind of know they're doing this this ridiculous wrestling show. Uh, and it's very, very invested in, in both seasons has been very invested in the inner lives of its characters, uh, which has been really, really great. And I think what made it stick and uh, what made it uh, appealing at the beginning. Uh, very much an ensemble cast. Uh, but in the second season here, it feels like it's really doubling down on what it actually thinks about the world. Mm-hmm. And it's a much better show for it. So, for example, in the first series... Uh, everyone in this in this show plays a sort of stereotype character, right? So they are all very, very, very ridiculous, over-the-top cartoon character pro wrestlers. Uh, there is, like, Liberty Bell, the white, you know, chick with a southern accent who wears all-American stuff, and she's she's the face, right? She's both the superstar and the face. And her, her rival, of course, is Zoya, the, like ridiculous Russian uh, sort of mm-hmm. stereotypes, a very Soviet, you know, in the 80s. And that those are kind of the two leads of the show, although in the second series, they're still certainly uh, very important to the show, but they're maybe a little bit less, uh, you know, the first season was very much them and, you know, supporting players. And this season is much, much more uh, kind of everybody gets their time in the sun. Uh, and it gets much, much, much worse, obviously, for the characters of color. Uh, there's a woman who I think is... Uh, not even Middle Eastern. I think she is um, uh, something else entirely. She might be Indian. I'm not even uh, entirely sure. Uh, but of course, she has to play uh, a Middle Eastern terrorist. Like, that's her character. And it's she hates it. It makes her really uncomfortable, but she still does it. Uh, because there really aren't a lot of great roles uh, for women of color. There's an Asian woman who plays a ridiculous ninja, and she is Thai. She's not Chinese. She's not Japanese. No. Like, she's 
Thai, I think, or Cambodian. Actually, she's Cambodian. And so, like, it's so fucking racist. And then there's, like, two black characters. Uh, one is, like, a very, like, black exploitation kind of uh, character. And that also goes to a Mexican woman in the second season. And there's a whole thing about that. And maybe, you know, tied in first for, like, the most offensive stereotype is a, a woman who is the welfare queen. That's the character. And she, she's, like, a bigger woman, and her character is the welfare queen. There's an entire episode. It's, like, uh, season two, episode five, that's called The Mother of All Matches. And this woman, uh, Tim A, is the character's name, uh, you know, who plays the welfare queen, her character in the show. Obviously, I want to make sure I get her name right. It's Kia Stevens. And I think she's actually Kia Stevens, the real-life actress was a professional wrestler, has some background actually in professional wrestling. So it's really cool that she got this arc uh, on the show. So she's like a really put together woman. Uh, her son goes to Stanford. He's like a successful engineering student. She runs around in like Stanford sweatshirts all day. Uh, and there's a point in this episode where she's at like parents day and somebody recognizes her from the show and is like welfare queen and like saying all these, you know, things that are from the show. And the son is like, what the hell did he just say to you? And, and then is like, I have to come see this show. I need to see kind oh, of what's man. going on. And in this particular, I don't want to spoil it. I, I guess I spoiled some of the premise there, but it's a fucking brutal, brutal match uh, that really goes to show uh, as much as, you know, the director of the show uh, or, or other people who are you know fans of the show say, oh, this is a commentary. These are over the top stereotypes. It goes so far beyond the pale uh, and just reinforces these stereotypes and just shows how fucking damaging and fucked up and terrible. Like this young man who, you know, gets mistaken for like the one other black guy in his class yeah. who looks nothing like him is here watching his mother be so degraded as the welfare queen who was beaten by the all-American white girl. Uh, you know, that's that's part of the show and everything. But it's it's so brutal and so well done and so incredible. Um, the show starts kind of pulling no punches with this stuff. Whereas in the first season, they definitely like commented on it and they would talk like, oh, is Sam more racist or sexist? Like it was almost in a joking tone. Like, oh, we know this is fucked up. You know, the show kind of saying to its audience, we know this is pretty fucked up. Uh, But it's really laying it on uh, in the second season and doing so, I think, in in an artful way and doing so in a way that's like, oh, we have a fucking opinion and this is what it is. And uh, also being a ridiculously entertaining, wonderful series. There's an episode I watched last night. I watched like five episodes last night. One of which is uh, a fully in-show episode. So it's like as if it were actually Glow. So with these goofy interstitials and music video, terrible rapping and music videos and, and everything as if it were produced in 1986, which is holy shit, chef's kiss. And you know what else? There's some very special episodes. There's some gay shit on this season. There was not a lot of gay shit in the first season. The second season, it dives into the AIDS epidemic in a Mm. very brutal, brutal, real, it's just hard to watch kind of way. Uh, And still being fairly subtle. uh, And still being, you know, not necessarily the narrative you see about that. And there's also queer ladies, finally. Because, of course, I mean, it's, it's... women's professional wrestling i would hope so but there, there wasn't much of that in the first season so it's very cool to see that in the second season i cannot gush enough about how much i love this show and i think it's genuinely great and very fun to watch as well as has that little gut punch of politics in it as well so it's god it's like fucking candy for me <laughs> but yeah 
Uh, it's on Netflix, so it's easy to find. Yeah. How does it? Well, it doesn't sound like obviously it's, it sounds like they have an answer for resolving the tension between like, on the one hand, these are professionals getting an opportunity. Yeah. To have a presence in a thing that is popular, and yet also it's intensely. They're part of something that's also very toxic uh, yes. to people like them. Um, how does it... Does it have any good so, answers? Not really. Uh, it it kind of... I mean, there's also an incredibly brutal kind of Me Too aspect uh, of the series that happens that is like people's responses to a very... You know, like a, a scenario of a producer coming on to a woman and basically assaulting her. Um, content warning yeah. there, uh, and 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 you know, like what happens with that, and who who responds how to that is is the f- most fucking brutal thing. So it does have an answer to that. Basically, uh, the show definitely takes a stance on on what happened there for sure. But in terms of the racial politics and the racial stereotyping, it doesn't really. Yeah, because Tim A stays on the show. She keeps doing the show, and there's almost a moment after the show where. Her son says, like, well, this is really fucking offensive, but then says something like, it was really cool that you threw that white shake across, yeah. you know, <laughs> like he almost like found a way to enjoy it, even though the result was so brutal and so awful. Uh, so there is still a little bit of waffling uh, for sure. I mean, I think the show thinks it's fucked up. I think yeah. the show has a very clear opinion that it is right. fucked up. These racial stereotypes were not a good thing, uh, but there is... Well, even they certainly go out of their way to show like, yeah, these are this is the only job that these women are going to get because they're not, you know, not all of them look like your Hollywood type. Right. They're not all pretty skinny white girls. In fact, most of them are not. There's there's really only kind of one of them on the entire cast. And so this is the job they're going to get. Right. Uh, So it it does wrestle with it. It does sort of. Sorry, (laughs) that was not a pun I meant to make. Uh, but it does contend with that. It does contend with that on some level. And the, the show knows what it thinks. But it doesn't really show necessarily uh, these women getting out of that. It doesn't really show them necessarily having the answers for themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah. And, well, it sounds like it also is sort of wrestling, identifying with this fact that um, a lot of stuff that is in terms of its text and execution still like pretty problematic or outright bigoted. Yeah. Still like if that's the only representation that marginalized people are going to find, like they will, they will have, they have to find something to love about it and they will. Right. Uh, right. Like there, there's like a lot of what, what eventually like we're called like black exploitation films, uh, nevertheless became beloved because at least they were movies that like put black people in their lives, like in roles where they're allowed to be cool. Yes. And it, yes, it may have been like very mercenary in how that was approached and it may have been like sort of nakedly exploitative in some ways, but nevertheless, like, Hey, you sure look cool when you threw that white lady across the room. Like, <laughs> right, right. Yes. And that's very much. And there, there's another black character who like, that is her thing. She was a stunt woman who did black exploitation films. And then sort of like, 
you know, gets this character junk chain that is like just straight up a black exploitation thing, and she ends up wanting to change that character into something else, and it's a whole thing, you know, like it's a whole, it's a whole process, and it and it goes into an, another stereotype, like another yeah. probably just as offensive, you know, stereotype, uh, and it becomes, I don't know, I, I, watching the show becomes like a really, really, really difficult dance of like wow i'm i'm really enjoying the show and i and i feel good about where this show's politics are i feel good about watching it i don't feel bad watching it for sure but also should i feel worse you know yeah. like should i actually feel a little bit worse about these stereotypes and the fact that like this was just text this is how racist i i went back and, and watched a little bit of like the actual glow from the 80s and like Oh no, they weren't exaggerating shit. This was that racist back then. It was just as racist as what they sort of show on uh, Glow, the Netflix yeah. series. So it's really, really difficult to kind of like, wow, I love Glow so much, but it also is like very, very much honoring this thing that is intensely racist, right? Yeah. Like intensely calling upon and not commenting upon and just, just sort of, you know, bad satire. Uh, that doesn't really say something, just just throwing it all out there and in a lot of ways reinforcing a lot of shitty stereotypes. So it's like, should I feel should I feel crappier about this? Should I feel crappier about glow in general? Um, I don't know. <laughs> that's that's another question for the ages, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> or at least for the next weekend, at least for the next weekend. Uh, God, I really love glow, but we'll we'll see. We'll see. We're always going to see. I think that is probably uh, time for us to head out and enjoy our weekends. This episode of Idle Weekend was produced by yours truly and hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about Idle Weekend at idleweekend.net and send us questions for our weekend correspondence at questions at idleweekend.net. To keep up with the latest from us, whenever there is the latest from us, follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Idle Weekend. Absolutely. And we appreciate if you tell your friends, if you tell your your buddies who in the AV club, if you tell whoever it is that you think might enjoy this show, that helps us out so, so much. And so does rating us on iTunes. That also helps us out a lot. We really do appreciate it. We appreciate your questions as well. Meaty or not meaty, we appreciate your questions. You know, I just want to I just want to send that shout out of appreciation to yeah. you all. So for Rob Zachney, this is Danielle Riendo. Wishing you the finest of idle weekends. <laughs>